0: Jesus Christ, Lord, you are alive and living in heaven, Lord, risen from the dead. God, and it's a a wonderful privilege to be able to have your word. God, because it frees us from so many uh, false expectations, Lord, and... and, um, the way that our flesh in this culture have deceived us into thinking is the right way to think. God, your word frees us from these things. Lord, your promises are real and effectual. They, they matter and they work. God, and those who put their trust in you see amazing things happen in their life. Because God, this physical world that's around us is, is not the whole story. There's an entire spiritual realm and world around us that is just as real and relevant to this day and this room and this church and this city, God. It matters. It is real. And God, there's a spiritual war happening for souls in this very room. God, and you have all the victory won for us. And God, we can trust you. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would do amazing things through your word today. And Lord, that the gifts you have given us through your spirit, Lord, would be active and we would trust, Lord, what you do in our hearts. God, there's uh, so much excitement and maybe anxiety and, and different emotions in this room. And God, some of them are lies. Some of them are true, but some of them are lies. And God, we need your word to be able to help us discern which is right and which is wrong and which way we should go, left or right. And Lord, how, Lord, we can trust you. So God, change us during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So the verse that we are going to land on today and we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Entering his rest. there is, there is a, a uh, that What he's talking about here is a story that happened back in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, and you guys remember, the nation of Israel was in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, they, they were growing, and they grew into a population, population of over 2 million people. And they were, they were captives. They were slaves. They, they became slaves in that land. But God kind of protected them and allowed them to grow kind of like a big Petri dish of Jews there. It was, it was just a bunch of, it was a healthy place. They, and they were very healthy people. And, uh, so, but it came a point where God said, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to save you. From that land, and I'm going to take you to your promised land, the land that I have put in my mind, that I have given you, and I have promised it to you. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And what did he do? He brought Moses in. Moses was born as a little baby, which most people are, and he 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 was saved himself. Uh, by being put in the Nile River and, and the queen, so he was raised as one of the Pharaoh's kids. And then when he was 40 years old, he, he, you know, killed an Egyptian and he had to flee. So for 40 years, he was in the desert just wandering around. And then God got a hold of his life, spoke to him in a burning bush, and said, I'm going to use you to save my people. And Moses is like, You got to be kidding me. They hate me. The Egyptians hate me. Everyone hates me except my sheep that I'm here in the desert with. But God said, no, I'm going to use you. And so it says Moses was the most humble man in the world. And so God takes Moses and he goes and he confronts Pharaoh and he says, you need to let my people go, God says. And Pharaoh's is like, Psh, whatever. I'm God. You can't do that. And, and Moses says, fine, here's some frogs and here's some lice and here's some all kinds of plagues. You guys know about the seven plagues. You can... Ten plagues, lots of plagues, lots of bad stuff happened. Big, long story. They leave after the last plague, which was God killed the firstborn of every family, except the families that put the blood of a sheep in the shape of a cross in front of their house. And this is way before Jesus, but yet crazy Jesus stuff happening. Okay? So... They all leave. You know, Pharaoh's firstborn kid dies and all this stuff, and Pharaoh's angry, and so Pharaoh starts chasing them, and as they leave, they cross over the Red Sea. God parts the waters of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army's chasing them, they cross over, the water falls on Pharaoh's army, and they all die, and they're saved. Salvation has come. They are now in the desert, and... Moses, with his little assistant Joshua, are said, Okay, guys, let's go. Let's start marching to the promised land. Here we go. But something awful happened. It should have only taken a couple days for them to walk from Egypt to Israel. When I was in Israel, I was shocked at how small everything is. Things are like right there. Like just right there, like, oh, and this is where this happened, and that's where that happened. It's just a little drive, like, to get to these little places. So a whole nation of two million people could have walked from Egypt to Israel in just a few days. And they should have entered the Promised Land, kicked out all the buggers that lived there, and lived happily ever after. But is that what happened? No. They go just a little ways into the desert. And then unbelief happens. God had a plan to, to complete his salvation in their lives. He saved them from Egypt, so they're saved. But there was a plan to complete the salvation in their lives, and they didn't enter into the promised land because of unbelief. See, the children of Israel that we just described, this whole story of the children of Israel, they picture our believer's life perfectly. There's two stages. You know, they wander through the desert. They, they spend 40 years now, because of their unbelief, just wandering around in the desert, struggling to survive, sad, hot, bugged, and disappointed, wanting something more, trying so hard to succeed, yet not succeeding. They couldn't make it into the promised land by their efforts. They wanted to, but they couldn't because they didn't believe. Look back at the verse right before this. It's the last verse of chapter 3 in Hebrews. And what does it say? It says, so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. And he's talking about this nation. He's talking about these people. They didn't believe that God was going to take them in to the promised land. They believed that they needed to do it in their own strength. That they had to somehow come up with a plan. Yeah, yeah, God, you did a lot of great stuff in the whole Red Sea and the plagues and all that stuff and you have lots of power, but hang on, I got this one. I got this one. But then there's giants in the land. There's people that were really big in the land and they're big and strong and muscles and these Jews weren't that way. And so, there was this promised land. There was the wandering in the desert that they ended up doing. But there was this promised land where there's rest instead of wandering. Abundance instead of wanting. And victory over every enemy instead of defeat. And these are symbolic of the two stages of our Christian life. The first stage is when You know Jesus as your savior from Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. And so the first stage of of Christian life is when you come to realize that he died for you on the cross to save you for your sin. And if you ask him to forgive you, you will be forgiven. Easy as that. You cross over the Red Sea. All your sin is like Pharaoh's army dying at the bottom of the Red Sea. Never to come back. You are forgiven. It's awesome. But then there's this whole second stage the other stage, where you come to know Jesus, not just as your savior, but as your, your priest and your king. It's a different stage. It's, it's, he not only saves you, but he sanctifies you. Which means it's that process of you becoming from the stinky, godless, unrighteous person that you were, into a godly person. Someone who glorifies the Lord and, and lives for him. But to enter into this rest, this life, uh, that's the the second stage that we're looking at today, that that he tells us to fear. One man challenged another man to an all-day wood chopping contest. The challenger worked very hard, stopping only for a brief break at lunch. The other man had a leisurely lunch and took several other breaks during the day. And at the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and annoyed to find that the other fellow had chopped substantially more wood than he had. I don't get it, he said. Every time I checked, you were taking a rest, yet you chopped more wood than I did. But you didn't notice, said the winning woodsman, that I was sharpening my axe when I sat down to rest. So... It's not how hard you chop the wood. It's not how pious you are. It's not how powerful your will is. And it's not how well you perform that's going to get you into the promised land. That's trying. That's efforts. I can, and I cannot, um, you know, you may say in your mind, I'm not having victory in my Christian life because I haven't figured something out yet. Or I haven't tried hard enough yet. And I've been there in my life. But there, you know, there's no verses in the Bible that say, try harder. Not a single one. And when we are confronted with the question of why we are failing, what we find out here is the answer is the same with us as it was with the children of Israel. We don't believe. We don't believe. How hard, it is, how hard is it to believe something? And again, I read that that verse to you, we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief. So our verse today is teaching us that we actually need to fear unbelief. We need to be scared of having a heart that does not believe all of God's words. It's all about letting go of all those self-sufficient attitudes and instead believing the word of God, the promises of God, every single one of them. Then, you and I can be living in the promised land. Do you think it was called the promised land? Because that's what its name was on the sign? Welcome to promised land. And why do you think God calls his promises promises? These these go together. There is a promised land because it is obtained by promises. Your promises? No. God's promises. Some people think the promised land is heaven, but that cannot be true because there's still battles and wars in the promised land. Yet in the promised land, there's always victory. No, it's not heaven, but it is the victorious Christian life. So when you hear the word promised land, I want you to translate it, the victorious Christian life, my victorious Christian life that's available to each and every child of God, not just the good ones. Not just the American ones and not just the ones who perform well. This victorious Christian life is available completely free of charge to anyone who will believe. Look at verse 2 in our text. For indeed the gospel, the good news, was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith In those who heard it. So it says here that the only reason that they did not enter the promised land, that victorious Christian life, was because of their unbelief. That's crazy. This land was just waiting for them, full of milk and honey and big old grapes and all kinds of goodness. And God Himself would have taken them in and given them the rest that they desired. But they ended up wandering and wanting, wishing and complaining and stuck in a rut. And down in the dumps. And why? Because they didn't believe. Because they did not believe that they wouldn't end. They would not surrender themselves to God so that he could do all that he had promised them. Unbelief closes our hearts. It's an act actually of defiance. Not humility and faith, like we learned last week. Humility and faith being the two things that God is actually looking for. But unbelief is actually defiance. And it renders the word and promises of God of no effect in our lives. There was a driver of this wagon in the the Philippines. And he was on his way to a market and he overtook an old man who was carrying a heavy load And he had compassion on him. And so the driver invited the old man to ride in his wagon with him. Gratefully, the old man accepted. And after a few minutes, the driver turned around to see how the man was doing. And to his surprise, he found him still straining under all this heavy weight that was on him. For he had not taken the burden off his shoulders. And that's exactly what we're talking about. When we get saved, it's like getting in that wagon. But did you realize you can take all those burdens off your shoulders, all those things you think you have to do or have to try to do to make God happy? All of it. Just dump in the wagon and just ride with Jesus to the market. Unbelief. And it gets you in a rut. You see, because the, the less one trusts, the more he disobeys. And the more one disobeys, the less he trusts. Pretty soon, we don't care about our sin anymore. We get frustrated and give up, and this has happened in my life, and I'm sure it's happened in your life too. After we get saved, after we come and know Jesus as our Savior, we have, we we get into this thing where I don't I don't really believe that God is going to fix this area of my life, or God can touch that area of my life. You know, maybe maybe I get I, I'm addicted to something, or maybe there's a, a just something I can't stop. My my sour attitude about or my pride or whatever God is working in our lives and it gets us in this rut and the the thing is we don't believe. And someone comes up to us when we're in that state and they say you just need to trust Jesus with that thing in your life. Your life would be changed if you believed the word of God. And our question is why should I have to depend on Jesus Christ? And it's sad because the question should be or, the, the way we should say that is, we get to depend on Jesus. We don't have to, we get to. So, these people wandering throughout the desert, they heard the promise. They heard God said, I have a promised land for you. And they had an opportunity to receive the promise, but they had to actually enter in by faith. So, you may have heard about the Christian life that looks awesome this victorious Christian life. And, you know, maybe someone who has constant victory in your life and you see them and you're like, yeah, that person, they're a good Christian. They're a good believer. Someone we can all look up to. And you may have heard about even the way to have this, to to follow Jesus. That's all you got to do, just follow Jesus. That's the way you get all this. But maybe you didn't believe that the Word of God and His promises And because of that, you can't have that victory in your life. Just like the children of Israel. He says a little bit later in this chapter, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. It made Jesus upset. It makes Jesus upset when you don't believe his word. Saying, I can take you in. And you say, no God, I got this. I got this. That produces not love from Jesus, Oh, look how great my child is. They, they got this one. That's not how God thinks. He thinks, are you kidding me? I said I would do it for you. And you can't do it. And yet you, you refuse my help. You refuse my grace and it produces wrath. You know, some people say, well, I've tried the Bible. I've tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. Well, sure, it didn't work for you. Because you don't believe it. Well, how do you know I don't believe it? Because it didn't work for you. It works if you believe it. You can enter into the promised land if you believe it. When you're saying, following Jesus didn't work for me, you're calling Jesus a liar. And if I have to choose between you and Jesus, I'm picking Jesus. It's just the truth. He rose from the dead. You didn't. He turned water into wine. You didn't. I mean, he proved that he should be listened to. And the thing is is that the Word of God is so effective it works it 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 works if you believe it. Look at first Thessalonians chapter two. Keep your finger here in Hebrews, but a couple pages to the uh, right left is first Thessalonians chapter two. See the Word of God it works, and you might you may go to other churches or you may. How, you know, hear from Christians who say, you just need to try harder, or you, you, you need this program, or you need this thing, and here at, at White Flag Calvary, and any Calvary that you go to, you will hear a dependence and commitment to the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God works. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, for this reason uh, we also thank God without ceasing, because... We, When you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Not in you who go to church, not in you who call yourself Americans, but in you who believe. The belief is how the Word of God works. And then in James chapter 1, verse 21, right after Hebrews, James chapter 1, verse 21, says, therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we are to receive the with meekness the word. That means, that's how you come. that's how you believe, is that you, you give a weight and, a, and, a, and a, you understand how important the word of God is. You receive it with meekness, saying, this is more important than me. This is more important than me. What this says is more important than how I feel, than what I've seen, than what I believe. This, I need to believe this before I believe what's right in front of my eyes. This is... Is truth. And if you do that, it's able to save your soul. Great. It's able to save. The Word of God is effective at doing what it does. Both in salvation from Egypt and salvation from the enemies in the Promised Land, it works in both ways. It works not only in bringing us salvation to our life and helping us accept Jesus and his forgiveness, but it brings us salvation as we grow. A completed salvation. Jesus didn't just save you from your sins in the future, in heaven, and in your past, but he's given us, he died, to bring salvation to our lives today so that we can have victory in our lives and we can live in this promised land. And look back in our verse in Hebrews chapter 4, In the beginning of verse three, it says, So we who have believed do enter that rest. So the question is, have you entered? Do you believe? C.S. Lewis said, You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death. It's easy to say you believe a rope will be strong as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Are you resting in God's promises? How about the promise of God's presence? I will never leave you, like in Hebrews 13.5. Or are you trying to get into his presence? Do you believe that you're in his presence or are you trying to somehow please him so you can get into his presence? How about the promise of God's protection? I am your shield in Genesis 15.1 or are you trying to be your own shield? Are you trying to guard your life and set up protections from unknown attacks and things that you don't know that are going to come against you? What about God's power? Do you believe in that promise that I will strengthen you from Isaiah 41? Or are you trying to live your life in your own strength? What about the p- promise of God's provision? I will help you. I will provide for you in Isaiah 41 as well. Or are you trying to help yourself? Are you trying to think of how I'm going to provide for this situation? What about God's leading? In John 10, 4, And He, when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, it says. Or are you trying to plan your own path? Do you believe that he says, I'll lead you? I'll lead you. I'll lead you. Have you prayed, God, lead me? But now I'm all stressing out about what I should do next. I'm all stressing out. What, What should I choose? What should I choose? Did you pray that God would lead you? Does he promise to lead you? Then your problem is not God. Your problem is you don't believe. Belief is going to keep you from entering the promised land of God leading you. But if you believe that God has given you His Holy Spirit, then you go for you pray about it, you make a decision, and you pray, say, God, if you want me to change my mind, then put it in my heart to change my mind, and you walk forward, do whatever you want to do. You do whatever you want. You 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 can serve the Lord in freedom and rest without all this stress. You just pray and you trust in the Lord. Now, well, why would I want to do is beat someone up? Well, Let's go back to the Word. That obviously does not come from His Holy Spirit. And that's why we have the Word. is to help us understand, yeah, that's from the Lord and that's not. That's God's heart. That's not. Oh yeah, God's leading me to divorce my wife. Well, let me, let me talk to you about that first. Let's see what the Word of God says. How about God's purposes? In Jeremiah 20, it says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Jeremiah 29. Do you believe God is working for you? Or do you have thoughts that he's abandoned you or even working against you? What about God's promise of rest? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you striving? Are you tired? Are you laboring with heavy burdens? What about the promise of God's cleansing? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. But do you feel like you need to spend time away from God until he's not mad at you anymore for your sins? Do you feel like you have to make it up to God somehow when you sin? Those are unbelief. That's unbelief. What about God's goodness? No good thing will he he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Uh, Psalm 84. Do you think that you need something else in your life in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled? Or do you believe in his goodness, that he's going to give you everything that's good? Do you believe? What about God's faithfulness? The Lord will not forsake his people for his own great name's sake. In First Samuel chapter 12. Do you believe that God's never going to let you down? Never. If you pray about something, he will always hear you and he will never let you down. What about his guidance? Again, he, the meek he will guide, he says in Psalm 25. Or are you trying to figure out the plan thinking I should be able to do this? I should be able to do this. I should be able to go into the promised land myself. Let me go in and spy out the land. That didn't work. What about God's wise plan? In Romans eight twenty-eight, 28, it says all things work together for the good of those who love God. Do you believe that God's way is the right way for you? Or are you going to go a different way? You believe or you don't believe? And see, his way, his way involves death. You know, if I said, how do you go to heaven? The first thing you will say is you have to die. (laughs) That's the first requirement to go to heaven. But to enter the The promised land of a victorious Christian life, you also have to die. But not your body, but rather you die to yourself through faith and you live to God through faith. Just like Galatians 2.20 says, and you guys should all have this verse memorized and starred and highlighted in your Bible. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Wow, that's not very comfortable. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we enter into this rest, this rest of Jesus, by giving up on our own way of thinking and understanding and naturally nailing it to the cross. The way I do things, my way of understanding, and, inst- and we renounce the sufficiency of our flesh, our abilities. We wave the white flag, which is where we get the name. And on our way, you know, and we believe his word, which says you can't do it on your own. But I will freely give you everything of a victorious Christian life. But if you just believe, by just believing in his abilities, his ways, his promises, his word, you will be able to rest Rest will come to those who believe. So when you look down for the rest of your life, because these things never go away. They're like made of silicon that doesn't ever dissolve. So as you look down and it says, rest in Jesus, I want you to think, I believe in that. I believe that what he said is true. And I'm going to tell you guys a story. In, in, uh, In Acts chapter 12, Okay, Herod, this whole Christian thing was happening, and all these believers were happening. Herod's political numbers were falling, and so Herod, being the awesome guy he was, took James, put him in prison, and it made the Jews happy. The Jews who he was having some political conflict. And so then he said, well, I'm going to order an execution, and he killed James, the leader of this Christian sect called the Way. And all the Jews were like, "Yeah, he killed James. That's at least one of our problems. It's done." And and his his political number started going up. Okay. And so he's like, "What else could I do to make I'm, I'm going the right direction here? This is what I should do." And so he went and he arrested Peter. And so Peter is now in jail. So the church decides, you know, we're going to pray. We forgot to pray for James, and look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> If I ever go to jail, would you guys pray for me? <laughs> you know, I don't yeah, You know, I don't know what I don't know what was going on in the church, but it doesn't say that they prayed for James. It doesn't say they had all night prayer meetings. And maybe they got really convicted when James died. And they said, Now, Peter, we gotta start praying. This trial comes into life and they start praying. Okay, so Peter is there in jail, and so God sends an angel, he hears the prayers, and he sends an angel, and and Peter thinks it's a dream or a vision. It's like, it's like too good to be true, okay? So this angel like pokes Peter in the side. It's not the way I would think an angel would start a conversation, but that's what happened. Poked him in the side, and Peter's like, whoa, whoa, and his chains just fell off. His, on his feet and his hands, they just fell off. The door just opens up. The guards are still sleeping. He's like, this is too good to be true. He thinks it's a vision. And so the angel says, come on, Peter. I, that was kind of a Texas accent. I don't know if it was a Texas angel or not, but. <laughs> says, come on, Peter. Let's go. I'm gonna rope some steer. Anyway, so he comes. He walks right through the front of the jail. And it says that Peter started going through the city, and it wasn't until he'd gone a few blocks and the angel disappeared that Peter looked around and said, What? That was for real? It was for real. And so, this is even better. He goes to the room where they're praying, the upper room, and he knocks on the door. And the servant girl, Rhoda, she goes down to the door and she opens the thing and says her password. What's the password? And he's like, It's me, Peter. Open the door. And she's like, What? And she's so excited. She doesn't, she forgets to leave. It. She leaves him outside. She forgets to open the door. And she goes up and tells everyone, Peter's outside. And they're like, You're a nut job, Rhoda. What are you talking about? We are praying for P- Jesus. We just, would you release Peter? Would you release Peter? We believe that you could do this, Lord, and help us. Lord God, I I just need you so much. We need Peter. James is already dead, and we feel guilty about that. We didn't pray for him, and we didn't even probably visit. Whatever, just, we need Peter, God. We need him. Listen to us. Hear us. And Peter's still knocking at the door downstairs. And they're like, Rhoda, leave us. That's probably just his angel. Which again, why wouldn't you open the door for an angel? If there's an angel knocking at your door, go open the door. But they are, are just stuck in this place. Now listen. Peter could have said, this is too good to be true. And he could have stayed right there in the jail. He could have stayed. Because he didn't believe. He could have looked down and seen the chains pop off. But if he didn't believe, he would still be sitting in that jail. And Herod would have come and would have killed him at that time. And the whole Gentile all the Gentiles wouldn't have even been saved. I don't know. But you see, that's our life. And I think it's maybe some of your lives here. Is God has brought freedom to your life through His Holy Spirit, through this new covenant, there is a rest available, complete freedom from the prison of sin that you live in. But if you don't believe, like Peter believed, he got up. He thought it was too good to be true. He thought it was a vision, but he believed. He believed it was a vision for him. So he's like, I'm going where the Lord wants me to go. And when he really, I mean, did the people who were praying for him believe? Well, maybe, maybe they only believed just the tiniest little bit, you know? Maybe it was just like the size of the smallest seed you could, maybe like a mustard seed or something. Well, that's, a, that's good. Because that is all you need. Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. And it will. And what mountain is he talking about? Whatever is standing between you and the promised land. You and your victorious Christian life. That's a mountain? It looks like a mountain. It's huge. Well, look at This is... No one can fix this. And God's like, who are you talking to? I can fix it. Just pray. Just ask me and believe. Believe me for one tiny little thing just that littlest amount, and you're going to be blown away by what God does in your life. You will be blown away by what God does in your life. So, when you look down at this, I hope you all remember to rest in Jesus, to believe that there is nothing God wants you to stress out about He's gonna take care of it. And your whole part, your whole all you can bring is belief. It's all you can bring to the party. He'll bring the bread and wine. You bring every you bring just belief. You know. And then you guys can have a party there. You guys can your whole life can just be fellowship with the Lord. Just seeing him do awesome things. So let's pray. Jesus, we, Lord, have a, Lord, I don't know who in here um, believes in their heart and who in here doesn't believe, but I know, Jesus, that every single one of us could believe more. We could all, Lord, take another step of faith. And maybe there's a, uh, you know, a chain that we feel is on us and we feel, Jesus, like there's nothing that, that could ever free us from this. Maybe we feel like it's something that goes all the way back to when we were born or something. And Lord, I know that nothing is too great for my God. And I pray that we would all believe that. And so as we are... Um, As we're closing our service, we always invite you, if you've never left Egypt, that this would be the day that you would leave Egypt, that you would believe that God loves you and that he paid the price and and did great miracles to save you when he died on the cross as a substitute for your sin. And if that's where you're at in your life, where you believe that, and Jesus says, anyone who publicly will confess me, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. And I will receive them and they will be forgiven. And I would invite you to just stand up and receive the Lord. And, and we can pray together. And it's, it's not a scary thing. It's not a, a hard thing. It's just as simple as that little tiny mustard seed of faith. That yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. And all these people are weird and all these people are scaring me. But Jesus, there's something about you that you love me. There's something about you that you are calling me and you are creating in me a new life and a new heart that wants to know you. So that's your opportunity. You can do that now. You can pray anytime in your life. You can come up and pray with me afterwards. And I ask you to do that. I ask that today you would make that decision so that you know that you're, you're just on your way out of Egypt. And there's a whole promised land in front of you. So Jesus, we want to now just uh, worship you, commit this time to you, Lord. And we love you and thank you for what you're doing in our church, God. We thank you for what you're doing in all the churches in this city, God. But, Lord, you are so good to us. And we love you. Amen.